Before you uh, head to Philippians, uh, on your way from Psalm 1 to Philippians, uh, pull the car over in Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we've alluded to this uh, text uh, last week, and I just want to go ahead and read it so it's on our minds and hearts as we jump back into Philippians. But we're talking about worry right now, worry and anxiety, which is something that, of course, never you know we never deal with at all. Um, uh, some of us represented here are uh, could be considered uh, card-carrying, licensed professional warriors. Uh, for others of you, it may be an occasional uh, challenge in the midst of a particular crisis. But I trust that what we're talking about today is one of those very, very, very relevant topics that, that we can all walk away from uh, with something that uh, will help us. Um, but worry and anxiety is something that the Scripture talks about uh, quite frequently. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, as we're going to see here. Uh, Paul certainly in Philippians 4, and you'll find uh, various and sundry other verses uh, scattered throughout Scripture. Um, but let's just uh, let's hear from our Lord um, his uh, short little excursus here on worry, and then uh, we'll use that as a springboard to jump into Philippians. Matthew chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 25. This is uh, basically right in the center of the Sermon on the Mount here. Verse 25, For this reason I say to you, Do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to, even, say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? So do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, there's, there's a whole message right there, um, but let's, let's just hit some high points here, okay? First of all, I'd like you to see that Jesus very clearly states here that anxiety and worry is a sin. Uh, it's not uh, you know, a personality issue. It's not a genetic issue. It's not um, you know, just how I am, uh, but it's something that though uh, it has been... Uh, psychologized away in our culture and even and even um, uh, made to be seen in some circles as a medical issue, uh, the Bible very clearly teaches here that it's sinful because Jesus tells us it's something that we can control and something that we shouldn't do. Uh, second, also, no, notice here as he talks about, you know, look, look at the birds of the air that God feeds them and look at the lilies of the field God clothes them. He, he noted, notice at the end of verse 26 he says... Um, just to remind you, you're worth more than the birds. 
Okay, now, isn't that a great self-esteem message today? Jesus thinks that we're better than birds. Okay, so there you go. Um, but it's true. I mean, obviously, if God is going to care for all of his creatures, the, the pinnacle of his creation, that the only thing he made that is made in the image and likeness of God, of course he's going to take care of people. Of course he's going to look out for them. Um, we noted last time, too, at the end of verse 30, uh, what does verse 30 tell us is really the crux of the matter in worry? What is really the bottom line issue in worry? Yeah, oh, you have little faith. Because when we worry, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you for whatever the situation is that has got us anxious. And Jesus is very gentle here, isn't he? He doesn't say, you guys just need to stop trusting in yourselves. You need to trust God. You need to repent. That's not what he does. In a very gentle way, he says, will he not do much more for you, O men of little faith? And and he almost hints at the answer rather than just come out and say it. Uh, But it's really true. Uh, verse 32 tells us that when we worry, we're being like pagans, right? This is, this is for free, by the way. This isn't in your notes anywhere if you're looking for a blank. I'm sorry, I should have told you that. Um, think about this. Do people that don't know the Lord, don't know his word, have no sense of the promises of God, the hope in God, the security of salvation, the the, the um, encouragement of divine providence in their life, do, do those people have any reason not to worry? They have every reason to worry. They should worry because they have no, no hope, right? And, and we, we don't have to get in too in-depth in this, but um, there are a thousand ways that people try to deal with life apart from God. And there are a thousand ways that people try to deal with the cares of the world, the things that, that bring anxiety and worry, and, and people are trying to deal with that apart from God. They're, they're drinking it away, they're smoking it away, they're shooting up it away, they're buying it away, they're entertaining it away, they're doing all these things to, to try to deal with the reality. Busy, one of the biggest things is they busy themselves, right? You know, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm going to accelerate to to Mach 3 speed in my life, and I'm going to be so crazy busy, I don't have time to worry, right? And that's one one of these people do it. So Jesus says, we expect that from Gentiles, right? We we expect that from people that don't know God. They don't have any reason to have peace, okay? But can you say that about believers? Believers? If we know God, we know his word, we know how he runs the universe, we believe that he sustains his creation, we, we understand his provision, we understand his care, he has promised to take care of us, he's promised to work in every situation. I mean, this, this, is, this is God with the perfect track record saying, just trust me, I've got this, really. So that when we worry, what we're, what we're communicating is that we're being like people that don't know the Lord. Um, all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Gentiles, pagans worry about food and clothes and all these other things. Look at verse 32. Notice, um, and and I, I hope you catch stuff like this. What title 
does Jesus consistently use when talking about God in this section? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, King of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't say, you know, God the Almighty. He doesn't just say God. He doesn't just say, he says what? Why? Why, why that, that role? Why, why that particular role of God? Why does he do that? Because fathers take care of their children. It's that fatherly care. Um, and so he says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. And we can rest them. You know, when, when, when children are little, you know, I've got a four-year-old, and, and actually probably all of them don't really think about this, but definitely the four-year-old. I can tell you, he doesn't have a clue about how breakfast happens. All he knows is he goes out to the table and there's food. You know, it's just, and to him, you walk to the table and food. He doesn't understand work. He doesn't understand shopping. He doesn't understand meal preparation. He doesn't understand, uh, money. And it's just, you know, I show up to the breakfast table and there's breakfast. And there's that childlike, just, mom and dad are just going to take care of it. It just, it just happens. They don't even think about it. And that's the picture here, that God knows that he's caring for us. And look what verse 32 says. Our Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Of course he does. He's a good Heavenly Father. And then these wonderful words, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You say, well, if I'm not going to spend all my time worrying, what am I supposed to do? The answer is you seek God with all your heart. You seek Him. You seek His righteousness, the things that uh, we know would honor Him, that the Scriptures would, would teach us to follow, and let God take care of the rest. You know, it, it's like He says, you pursue the things that God tells you to do and let God run the universe and He'll take all those other things. He'll take care of all those other things. Okay, so that's that's the jet tour there. But th- this is a great section uh, for further study uh, for our topic uh, at hand today. So at this time, go ahead and turn back to the book of Philippians now. And uh, let's parachute back into where we left off last time. Th- these are very familiar verses to most of us. And uh, just by way of review, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So last time, uh, in getting into this section, we saw that really the first admonition, the first part of this section here, is that we just need to stop worrying. We need, we need to put it off, we need to take it off, we need to repent of it, we need to confess it as sin and turn away from it. Uh, the language is very strong, very clear. Be anxious for nothing. There, there should be nothing in our life that we're worrying about, period. Right? Um, but as we've so often noted, we don't change just by stopping the wrong thing. 
We change when we stop doing the wrong thing and what? Replace it with the right thing. Okay, how many times have you heard me say that? Right? Should we get t-shirts? You know? Yes, we don't just... And in fact, you will be frustrated if you spend all of your time just trying to stop doing the wrong thing. Um, you won't change. Um, but the scripture... Uh, consistently teaches it's about replacement. Replacement is how we change. And the, the major text on that is Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, which uh, lays out that process there. So, and, and you'll see it all over Scripture. If we're supposed to stop worrying, what should we replace it with according to this verse? With prayer, yeah. We need to stop worrying. We need to start praying. Uh, he says it, look what it says there. But in everything, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So four different ways he says you need to start praying. He says, number one, you need to pray. Two, supplication. Three, thanksgiving. Four, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, And we said last time that um, whereas worry is something that will literally eat you from the inside out, and will not do anything beneficial at all. In fact, the only thing it will do is give you an ulcer. Prayer, on the other hand, is a righteous thing to do. When we pray, we're actually doing something to help the situation, aren't we? So he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication... Uh, supplication just has the idea of we're, we're petitioning God for something. We're asking him to do something. With thanksgiving. That's a underlying, highlying, starting, circling word in your Bible. Why is thanksgiving, this is review from last time, but why is thanksgiving so important in worry? Yeah, if you're thanking God for things, it's really hard to worry. Now, if you're going to thank God for things in the midst of your worry, what do you have to change? Yeah, that's exactly it. Because, okay, when when you're when you're worrying, okay, and that's what creates the worry. So if I'm focusing on whatever the problem is, whatever the, whatever the fear is, we talked last time how worry is usually driven by some fear, uh, often about the future or some unforeseen circumstance. But our focus is all on the problem. And as, and as we dwell on the problem, as we think about the problem, as we rehearse the possibilities in our mind, we play out every possible situation, every possible scenario, the end result is our, our mind gets in this gear called worry. And, and if you if you talk to people that really struggle with worry, it, it, it really is like part of the transmission of the mind, if you can think of it like that. It, it's a, you know, the gear shift goes, and it's not in sort of normal life mode. It's it's in this other gear, this other part of the of the transmission where the mind races and it, it's dwelling on these things. It's overwhelmed by these things. It's called worry. And. The reason this is so amazingly helpful is that if you're going to do what this passage says to do, 
See, you don't just stop worrying. You can't snap your fingers and stop worrying. What you can do is repent and replace it with something godly in its place. So if we're not focusing on the problem, what are we focusing on instead? We're focusing on the Lord. And out of that comes what? All sorts of prayer. And as we're focusing on the Lord and we pray, he says we have to do it with thanksgiving, which means I've got to kind of think back here and say, well, what are the things that the Lord has done for me that I can be thankful about? Because when you're you know, worrying is like, is like having spiritual tunnel vision, isn't it? It's like you're, you're just, all you see is this one little slice of your life, and then there's like all this other stuff around you that you're not thinking about. You're not thinking about how kind God has been in other areas of your life and how, how blessed uh, you are in these other areas. And oftentimes, and this is crazy, but we all do it, we don't even, you know, let's say, let's say we're worrying about finances. Let's just say that, okay? And we're all worried about our finances and fearing the worst, and we're playing out this, the scenarios, and we're, we're thinking, you know, where's the cardboard sign so I can go sit out on the road? And, you know, we're just, just off the chart, crazy, anxious, right? And yet, three weeks prior to that, God provided for you financially in some amazing way that you weren't thinking about, right? You weren't expecting. But in that moment, when it happens again, you're not thinking about God's graciousness in the past. You're focused on, you know, the present source of the worry. So, so doing what verse 6 says to do, in a sense, forces us to think beyond the problem to all the other ways that God is being kind to us. And that's exactly what Jesus does in Matthew 6. He's like, have you, have you looked outside at the birds lately? I mean, have you looked at the lilies of the field lately? Look beyond the problem and see the wonder and provision and graciousness and kindness of your heavenly Father who knows that you need all those things. So as we pray, uh, Paul tells us very wisely here, make sure you do it with thanksgiving. Because if you're going to thank God for something, that means your focus has to change. And when your focus changes, your worry will go away. It, it, it's amazing. You can't snap your fingers and turn off worry. But as you turn to God and focus on Him and pour out your heart and find things to be thankful for, it goes away. It's the craziest thing. But but if, if you've experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and just one little footnote before we move on. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe... I mean, you think about how many atoms he has to manage every day. Right? what it means to run the universe, to care for the universe, to providentially be involved in our lives. And yet, you know what he says? I want you to tell me what you're worried about. Isn't that amazing? He asks us to come to him. He says, I care. I want to know. Come talk to me about it. Uh, you know, God, God is not a... God is not a distant father that's always in the garage tinkering with something and has no time for his children. That's not the God of Scripture. He's not off traveling somewhere and only occasionally calls home. No, he's there and he says, 
I want to hear about the little, sometimes silly or even embarrassing things that we worry about. He says, come and talk to me about it. I want to help. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then this most amazing thing happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This verse is really talking about the result when you put off worry and replace it with prayer. What result can we expect? Now, just a little excursus here. The Bible talks about peace a lot in the life of the believer. And and the verse that comes to mind is is Romans chapter 5, right? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? And of course, in that context in Romans 5, what, what the peace that is being talked about there is the fact that God and sinners that were separated because of sin through the personal work of Jesus Christ, that relationship has been restored, and so they enjoy peace in terms of the fellowship and the restoration of that relationship. Okay, That's the peace that Romans 5 is talking about. That is not the peace that this verse is talking about. It's not talking about us being reconciled to God and so we have peace. What peace is this talking about here? Take a a stab at it based on the context. It's an inner peace about what? You're right. Okay. It's a it's a situational peace, right? It's an inner peace about the situation that's going on. So when it says peace of God, it's not the peace of God, meaning the peace that comes between me and God. It, it you could better translate it. It's peace that comes from God about my situation. You see that? That God gives me this supernatural peace about my situation. It's like if, 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 in, okay, the spiritual transmission, right? You got the gear called anxiety and your, your, your mind is going a thousand miles an hour and, and it's, your, it's tunnel vision, you're dwelling on it, you're, you're, you can't think about anything else, you can't sleep, you're, you're disengaged from people around you. And you follow this process by God's grace. And God puts the car in a different gear. And your mind stops. And you're not racing. You don't have tunnel vision anymore. You're suddenly aware that there are other people around you. There are other things going on in your life. And you have this this great sense that, you know what? It's going to be okay. Gonna be okay. It's the peace of God, and look at look at the two things he tells us here about this peace. There's two things that he uses uh, to describe it here. Um, the first thing is it is a peace which surpasses all comprehension. Now I want you to see here. This this is not a way of coping with your problem. This is a supernatural peace that Paul is saying you can't explain it from a worldly perspective. You can't explain it. And and maybe you have been in situations or maybe you've known other believers as they 
you know, sit by the bedside of a dying child or, you know, put down the phone from the phone call saying their work has been taken away from them and they've lost their job or you know, maybe you've been with people or maybe you've been in one of those crisis situations and God works through what we've been talking about here and you're really okay, you're really settled, you're really at peace with the situation because you have a great sense that God's going to take care of you. And yet there are people around you that are like, what's wrong with you? You shouldn't be okay with this. And like so many things, this is one of those... I mean, do you think about how you handle your anxiety as a branch of apologetics? Apologetics, you know, the... the um, Defending Christianity, defending the faith, right? Giving a giving an answer to those who ask. Apologetics, sharing our faith. But but part of what Paul's getting at here is when we are content and at peace in the midst of great troubling circumstances because we're really trusting God, that peace is a testimony to a world that desperately needs and wants that peace but doesn't know how to get it. Like I said, they're, they're looking for peace in all the wrong places. They're looking for it in relationships. They're looking for it in entertainment. They're looking for it in alcohol and drugs and other substances. They're looking for peace in all these things, trying something to, to, to make me be okay in the midst. Because life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard. How can I be okay? And, and all those other things that people try to produce, you know, all, pursue to produce peace, all those things that people do to pursue peace will fail. And guess what? We know, we know where that peace comes from. We know how you get that peace. It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. First of all, in a relationship with Him. And then secondly, as we're seeing here, in a daily walk where we cast all our anxiety on Him because He cares for us. And He gives us, it says here, a, a supernatural peace, a peace which surpasses all comprehension. You, you can't explain it. It literally rises above all Understanding. Now, now note here, it's not an irrational peace, it's a supernatural peace. There are people that have irrational peace. They live in what I like to call fantasy land. They're woefully disconnected from reality, and they're very happy in their fantasy world. In fact, that's one of the ways people cope with things sometimes. This is not irrational thinking. This is not, you know, some off the chart ridiculous hope. No, this is a supernatural peace based on the fact that there really is a heavenly father that's going to care for us. But notice the second part. He says too, this peace will guard your hearts and your minds. You ever thought about that? It guards. It's it's a sentry. It's a soldier standing ready to protect. Now, connect that picture to what he's talking about here. How does this peace guard? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it, Gene. When we have walked through this process, we're trusting God, we have this peace, that peace guards us from further worry and anxiety. So, so watch this, watch this. 
the more that we practice this process, you ready? The less we will be tempted to worry. Because that peace, the more we live in that peace, it, 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 it's active. It's not this passive peace where I go, oh, I feel better. It's an active peace. It's doing something in here. And what it's doing is it's guarding our hearts. It's guarding our minds from further temptation to worry. So that the more that we practice this, the more that peace guards. And we're going to look back and go, you know what? I don't, I'm not tempted to worry like I used to five years ago or ten years ago. Because God has worked in us. Yes? It reminds me of uh, something that I practiced for a while. Dr. Charles Stanley uh, taught about putting on the whole armor of God. Yes, uh huh. He said, put it on before you get out of bed. (laughs) Right. And so I think that's that guarding Mm -hmm. heart. Sure. Yeah, put on the armor of God before you get out of bed, right? That's good advice. Um, the process of putting off worry and replacing it with prayer not only stops worry, it prevents future worry. The result of the peace of the result is that the peace of God actually helps us avoid falling into worry in the future. But wait, there's more. Look at verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Next thing is think on things that are true. Market. Wherever you find somebody that is worrying, you will find somebody who is thinking on all the wrong things. If, if worry is a machine, thinking on things that are not true is the fuel. Okay? Because in order to worry, I've got to feed it with something. Just like anything else. You got to feed it. And what worry is fueled by and feeds on is dwelling on things that are improbable, unlikely, untrue, ungodly, all those sorts of things. And we know this because behind every sin that we commit is is something going on in our thinking and in our wanting that isn't what it should be before the Lord. We understand that. But but notice, we, we like to use this verse, verse 8, and it's a great verse. You know, let your mind dwell on these things, you know, and, and that's a wonderful verse, and we can use that and apply that in all sorts of different situations. But notice the context of this verse is dealing with worry. So in, in order, maybe I can connect it like this. If you struggle regularly with worry and anxiety, one of the things that God wants you to pursue and he wants to work in you, is is learning to bring your thoughts under control. Uh, we don't have time to look there, but just mark in your notes there, 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5, uh, it's a spiritual warfare passage. And there's all this military language that, that the Apostle Paul uses there. And he says, um, and you guys know the verse, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And, and again, it's a, it's a G.I. Joe term. It's a military term. Um, you interrogate your thoughts. 
you interrogate it. So, so for example, let's say you know you're worrying about finances and you think, well, we're not going to make it. Well, do you know that? We're never going to be able to pay this bill. Really, how do you know that? Are you the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords who's omniscient in the universe? Is that you? Really? But see, in the moment of worry, we say stuff like that to ourselves, And what does that do? That just pushes us further down the spiral into worry. Oh, and then we'll have to sell the house. We're going to lose the house and lose the cars and lose our nice furniture. And we're the... Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that? And you, you back the car up and say, well, wait a minute. Is God able to provide for my needs? Well, sure he is. Has he done that in the past? Come to think of it, yes, he has. See, and, and that's why you, you have... Worry dies a death of starvation, like so many other sins. You stop feeding it, and it dies. You, you see what I'm saying? You, 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 you're anxious, you start praying, you get the peace of God, and then you start getting your mind under control. I need to stop feeling this thing by taking my thoughts captive. People that deal with depression, people that deal with anxiety and worry, um, those two categories in particular are people that allow their thoughts to run out of control. So this verse is so helpful. Look what he says. He says, whatever is true. Well, how are you going to know that? You got to read your Bible. That's why when he's, when he's talking about with prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Um, you know, as I'm seeking God in my worry, where do we seek God? Where, how do we do that? We go through his word, right? We come to his word. We pour it. We say, Lord, help me. Speak to me. Work in me. Talk to me through, through your word today. And he tells us things that are true, right? He tells us things that are honorable. He tells us things that are right. He tells us things that are pure. He tells us things that are lovely, meaning attractive, spiritually speaking. He tells us things that are of good reputation or something that is commendable or attractive. And he says, if there's anything that is worthy of praise or excellent. So uh, what he's saying is, Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Okay, that's what, you know, you're gonna know those things by saturating and renewing your mind in Scripture. And once you have seen those things, you learn a truth, you learn something that is worthy of praise, worthy of your trust, that is attractive to you, spiritually speaking. You don't just say, oh, that's great, and shut your Bible. What does it say? You let your mind, what? Say it. Dwell on these things. Now, do you see the contrast? Over here, worry is dwelling on the improbable, the unlikely, the mites, the could-bes, the future, the fear, all that sort of thing. We stop it by turning to God in prayer. Right? We start praying with thanksgiving. He gives us this wonderful peace with God. But then what do we do instead? Instead of dwelling on the, the situation, instead of dwelling on whatever the problem is, we're focused on the Lord. Well, how do you focus on the Lord? So that's easy to say. Well, just focus on the Lord. Well, how do you do that? You do that by meditating on the truths of His Word that apply to your situation. 
And you let your mind dwell on those things. You, you might take some verses that you read and put it on a card, stick it on your dashboard, stick it on your mirror, you know, wherever you're prone to worry. Maybe put it by the bedside. If you know you get in bed at night, that's when the, your mind starts getting into that worry gear. You whip out your Bible and you've got some passages written down so that you can think on those things instead of on the wrong things. And whenever the temptation to dwell on those things that are less than biblical, less than true, things you don't know for sure creep into your mind, you take them into the interrogation room and you test them, you interrogate them, you, you, you take them captive to the obedience of Christ. And if something pops into your mind and you think, you know what, we're never going to be able to pay this bill. You know what, I don't know that. That's wrong. That's wrong. Because God can provide. God has provided. And he says, will you just trust me? I take care of birds and, and flowers. I can take care of you. I've got this thing. That's what taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ looks like. You say, okay, God's going to take care of me. He is going to provide for me. I don't know how, but he is. And you dwell on that instead of, oh, no, I can't pay this bill. And when you do that, what happens to worry? It goes away. Uh, we don't have time to get into this now, but, but this process of taking thoughts captive, learning to control your thinking and thinking on things that are true and right, that's not just going to help you with worry. That's going to help you with every area of your Christian life. And the last thing, actually second to last thing, practice godliness by following godly examples. The last thing he says is verse 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. What he's saying here is that if you're going to conquer worry, uh, notice this, notice this cool little outline. Right praying, that's verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 7. No, verse 6, that's right. Right thinking, that's verse 8. Right doing, that's verse 9. Right praying, right thinking, right doing. God says here through his word, are there godly people in your life that have learned by his grace how to do this? In fact, some of you have been through great significant trials. And by God's grace, you've gotten through it. You've, you've walked down this road that I've just described. And you, have, you know what that piece is that I'm talking about. You've learned how to take, take your thoughts captive. And you know what the scripture says here? For the rest of us, we need to find those people and practice what they do. We need to be like them. The Apostle Paul says, using himself as an example, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So we need to find people that have overcome worry and hang out with them and learn from them and say, how did you get through that? What helped you? Uh, uh, Becky shared uh, last week about journaling and how that helped her. Well, that's, a, that's a great example of what he's talking about here in verse 9. Right praying, right thinking, and right doing. Because, because here's how this connects to worry. There are probably a thousand other things that we're neglecting because we've been worrying. And this verse is saying, you need to, you need to start doing all those things that you should be doing instead of worrying. And find examples to do that.
Find people that have done that. Right praying, right thinking, right doing. Oh yes, and then there's one little extra thing here. Um, you guys know that, that way back in the 16th century, uh, the Bible for the first time was broken into verse and chapter divisions. But prior, essentially to the 16th century, it was one big long deal. And in fact, if you, if you look at it in Greek, it looks like one big run-on sentence because there's not even any punctuation uh, there. So the Bible was broken up into chapters and verses. And, and frankly, that makes it very convenient, doesn't it? You know, so you don't have to go, well, somewhere in Philippians, well, or, or, or worse, you know, somewhere in Job, so you've got to thumb through 40-some-odd chapters of you know, trying to locate something. It's very convenient. Every now and then, however, verse divisions work against us. Because sometimes a verse division or a paragraph division or even a chapter division helps us uh, or disconnects what we're reading from the verses that surround it. Okay, And this is one of those situations where I think, with all due respect to the men of old that put the verse divisions there, I'm thankful for their work, I think they got it in the wrong spot here. And here's why. Look back at verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. And then what's the next sentence say? What does that go with? I would argue contextually that does not go with the verses that precede it. That actually goes with the verses that follow it. The Lord is near is Paul's opening statement about worry, right? Why do you not have to worry? Why can you think on things that are true? Why can you pray? Why can you do all that? We saw it in Matthew 6. I've alluded to it in this text. The reason we don't have to worry is because God is near. He's a father. He cares. He knows. He calls us to come to him. And he's there in the midst of our trial. You know, he, okay, no surprises here, okay? He knows what your checkbook says. He knows that. He knows about the struggles you're facing in your marriage. He knows that. He knows that better than you do. He knows about the challenges you're having with extended family member and, and adult children. He knows about the challenges you're facing at the office or at work. He knows about those things. He knows about your health problems that maybe nobody else knows. You know, you say, I've got this health issue and no one else understands me. Well, God does. And this biblical truth that God is near, his omnipresence, theologians would call it. He's everywhere all the time. And the fact that he is not just everywhere all the time, but in a very unique and special way, he is close to believers. He's close, first of all, because the Holy Spirit resides in us, right? He's there. He's close to us because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He is close to us because Romans 8 says God the Father has adopted us into his family. And out of his role as the Father, he says, I'm near, I know, I'm taking care of you, it's okay. The, the, way, the way my four-year-old walks into the breakfast table and sits down and it's just there, that's what God does, but in a thousand other ways. 
There's another reason that I would argue that the Lord is near goes with this section. Um, because the section starts with the Lord is near and it ends with the Lord is near. Look at the end of verse 9. The things that you have seen and heard and received, heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace, what? Shall be with you. It starts with God's with you. It ends with God is with you. And that's why we can trust him. That's why we can cast our cares on him. That's why we can lean on him to, to help us in our situation and let him deal with it. You know, so much, so much of worry comes down to the fact that we are assuming burdens that are not ours to carry. They're God's. And by understanding that God is with us, that he's there, it's a way that he communicates, I'm handling it, I'm taking care of it. And and good night. Can the Lord of the universe take care of things way better than we can? Absolutely. Look at his track record. As you go home this afternoon, think about his faithfulness to you. Think about his provision to you. Think about his kindness to you, his grace to you. It is amazing how he treats us in light of what we really deserve, isn't it? We need to remember that in the moment of worry. Because he really will take care of us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you that you love us uh, like a father. And you provide for us like a good and gracious father. Uh, Lord, these things don't minimize our trial or our suffering. The things that we worry about sometimes are insignificant. And sometimes they're very serious. Uh, Father, thank you that you're near, uh, that you're with us, that you're working in our situations, and that as a kind and wise Heavenly Father, you are working these things out. Help us to trust you. Help us to pray to you. Help us to think on things that are true. Help us to practice things that you've told us. And we will know the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds. Um, Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and know that all these other things you will add to us. Father, we're we're overwhelmed at because of who you are, what we can have in the midst of our worry and fear. Thank you, Father, for that peace. And as we live in that, might it be attractive to a world that so desperately is looking for peace. Might our life point them to the Savior, we pray in his name. Amen.